I'm Graham Mack, and welcome to the Pod 20, the countdown of the most popular podcasts in the world right now. This week, my special guest is Don Chambers from In Radio. I'll talk to him about the incompetent people who regulate radio in Britain. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in the UK, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms, and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now, and at number 20, The Jordan Harbinger Show. In-depth conversations with people at the top of their game. 19. The Breakfast Club. The world's most dangerous morning show with DJ Envy, Angela Yee and Charlemagne, their god. In the latest episode, their donkey of the day is a Catholic priest from Arizona. 18. Distractable. Thoughtful discussions about funny, out there, or otherwise interesting stories from everyday life. 17. The Influential Women Podcast with Nikki Bannerman. Nikki, a lot of people will know you from the radio. How did you get into broadcasting? Not directly, uh, because I didn't go to journalism college like I wanted to. I got into marketing really first right. and went all the way around the houses, all the way around the world, worked for incredible um American companies largely, worked for Time Warner, worked for uh, Viacom, worked for Blockbuster in the video days, uh, always doing marketing, product development, content development. But at the time it was content publishing for music, film, video, magazines. So I've always worked in content, thinking what's the next story, what's the next product. Um, so I think podcasts have just really been an extension of that. It's still getting content out there, but just on, on a different format, different medium, you know, through streaming. Yeah, now. I like to think of it as, as just the latest evolution of audio, you know, because we, we started with when the radio was a piece of furniture and people would sit around and listen to it. And then along yes. came TV. And thankfully, at the same time that TV came along, along came the transistor, which miniaturized radio and made it personal. Exactly. So then instead of it being plays and live musicians, it became records and DJs and that became very, very one-to-one. -one. It changed. Yeah. And the latest evolution is into podcasting. And it seems to me that, that radio used to be, even when I was a kid in the 70s, uh, my local radio station in Liverpool, Radio City, they used to have a classical music show on a Sunday night. And a, oh, and really? A, oh, you oh, were yeah. a lot more civilized than I was then with my chart topping. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I still I listen to, to Top out. 40 and stuff. But but it seemed to me that, that radio used to be more full service. I mean, Radio 2 used yeah. to have a, a, a soap opera called Wagoner's Walk that used to come oh, on in the middle goodness. of Pete Murray's open house. That It was, was a lot more full service, but then radio started becoming very formatted so yes. that you had just a Top 40 station or an oldie station or an easy oh, listening or classical. And it seems that the podcasting has taken that a stage further now. It's like, well, there were people who were listening to the bits in between the music and found that more interesting. Well, let's just get rid of the music and just do the bits in it's between, like which is what podcasting. Chat. Well, it's the yeah. chat we love. Well, actually, you know, I, I did have a job for a record company which started me in the entertainment industry. And it was, um, I did have to go into the recording studio and it makes me feel like a complete, dinosaur but with people like tommy vance and alan freeman and wow. guys at the time and i was you know really young straight out of school but i just love the fact i was in a studio and i was with these guys from radio and broadcast and 
you know, we were making, you know, flexi vinyl and it was just a cool place to be. And there were cool bands coming and going. And I think it just innately just interested me. You know, that's where the action is. I mean, broadcasting to me, really, it's a second career. My first career was marketing and just got a bug for it, really. And through that, got the training at the BBC in Manchester and London and then met all the big wigs at the BBC, Jane Garvey and Fee Glover and Helen Bowden and all those. And they said, do you want to do a podcast for some women, for helping women in broadcast as a charity? And I just thought, this is the job I've been waiting for since I was 13, you know. And got into it that way. And Jane Garvey put a credit on my on my uh, website about broadcast because my podcast only came out of having helped women in broadcast. So it's I think all of these things happen, you know, right place, right time, or who you know, or just having your passion and determination and just not giving up that steely sort of or being curious, just to to be where you where you want to be talking to people and telling stories. <laughs> The same yeah. as you've done, you know. Your well, career's sa- been amazing. The, the sa- oh, I've had fun. I've had a lot of... You've had I started fun. In, in heck, Australia. You've had best radio personality in New York, both sides <laughs> of the Atlantic, best talk show host, <laughs> breakfast show of the year. I mean, those are accolades, you know. Yeah, those they are were... big radio stuff. Uh, mine's, uh, I've had uh, some amazing interviews, though. I've, been, I've talked to some incredible people, you know. It's been a gift. It's a journey, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a great podcast, the Influential Women podcast with Nikki Bannerman, number 17 this week on the Pod 20. 16, On Purpose with Jay Shetty, fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. 15, Behind the Bastards, the worst humans in history. The latest episode is called Tsar Nicholas II was a real dick. 14, Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. 13. Sips, Sods and Smokes. Everything good in life is worth discussing. Wine, tea, coffee, whiskey, beer, cigars, barbecue, people whose name starts with a Q, ex-Amish, the state of Alabama, roadkill and Canadians. Their latest podcast is called A Love Letter to Cider. 12. In radio with Don Chambers. Don, I want to talk to you about Britain's broadcasting regulator, Ofcom. Because they're useless. And they're useless because they have no idea how radio works. Mm. When I was the boss of 2CR FM in Bournemouth, I had an Ofcom complaint about a phone call I'd put to air. And they assumed it was live. And I said, no, no, no. And they said, oh, was it in delay? And I went, no. And they said, well, how was it on the radio? I said, well, I recorded it while the song before was playing. They had no idea that could be done. And in commercial radio, that was standard practice. And the reason why I bring up Ofcom is because they've been pretty tough. Although they've been really lenient on the big groups, and we're talking Global and Bauer here, you know, there was one guy at, was at Capital Extra, was taking payola. He was charging, yeah, what's Capital Extra? He was charging £200 for artists to get their records played on his show. And Ofcom didn't do anything Mm. about that. They let him go. Meanwhile, Ofcom has been bullying community radio stations. These are run by volunteers, not for profit. And they've been finding people in breach for failing to log output. Uh, One of them, London's Rinse, uh, played a song by Jay 
Electronica. Caroline Community Radio was in breach of the broadcast code for playing the song French Kiss by Lil Louise. I mean, that song, it's no worse than Donna Summer's Love to Love Your Baby, but mm. it seems that Ofcom at the moment are trying to justify their existence by picking on the small fry and leaving the big guys alone. And I don't know why that is. As someone who's so involved in community radio, can you talk about that? Or are you actually scared to say anything in case you upset the regulator? No, I'm they not are scared powerful. To, to, to say anything. Um, I do think that there are a number of things that, that should be addressed. Uh, one of them is that the regulator has actually shrunk in size. But at the same time... So who's in that you know, giant building by the Thames then? Well, I think they've got less and less of that giant building by the Thames, but they, okay. are, they are still there. But, you know, only recently, I think Ofcom took on the BBC like, you know, radio and, uh, and that was previously self-regulated. So I think, I think they've increased, their portfolio has increased, but at the same time, their staff has shrunk. And I think of the background here, and this is a personal opinion, I, I do think that there, there is a government who at one point well, the, you know, what so this government came out of, the previous version of it, were quite keen to, to lose Ofcom totally. So I think there has been an element of trying to justify themselves. And one yeah. quarter of all community stations were threatened with being found in breach a few years ago for, for not uh, filling out their annual reports correctly. And I, you know, I was chair of the CMA at the time, and um, I said, what is going on here? And, and I think the answer is... That was in the lead up to the 2015 election. So uh, let's let's flex the muscle. Uh, Ofcom do, I think, a, a lot of good work and a lot of necessary work. But one thing that frustrates me, and you know, I, I'm, I can hear managers and program controllers and up and down the country uh, on this one, is that Ofcom will uh, investigate a, a complaint on its own merits, and that that is right and proper. But the fact is, he's really become an agent, an unwitting agent in vexatious activity. Um, and I'm sure this percolates throughout the, across the sectors. But you talk about volunteers in community radio. Managing volunteers is a very, very advanced skill set. And, uh, and it's a very rewarding one, I can tell you. But the chances are, but every now and again, you're going to get someone who's a bit hacked off. And then they, where can they go? They've lost their place in the community because their show is no longer going out. And, um, you know, I, I always think that as a, as a, as a program, as a, um, a manager myself of 12 years standing, that if, if a complaint goes direct to the Ofcom because it, it, it's citing some potential contravention of the broadcasting code and they haven't gone to the management of the station, that automatically, to my mind, indicates a vexatious uh, Well, it, it shouldn't even be allowed to be that way. My view of it is, yeah. is that if a listener, ha and I, I used to pride myself at 2CR, that if a listener came to me first, I had a 100% record of them not going to Ofcom after they'd spoken to me. Because mm. I'd listened to their mm. concern, we, we'd talk about it, they had a genuine concern. Most of the time, they just wanted the radio station to be better. Genuine complaints from the community, from listeners, will go to the manager. I, and, I and, but Ofcom, Ofcom should have a rule, and it should be: you go to the radio station first, and Absolutely. if you're not happy with how you dealt with, or whether it was wasn't resolved, then you go to Ofcom afterwards 
as an overseer. You shouldn't be allowed to go to Ofcom in the first instance, especially when there's only one complaint. People's careers yeah. have been ruined because oh, of it, one it, complaint. It, sure, if you get a hundred complaints, well, maybe. And that does happen. You do get something that's gone wrong in broadcasting and you get hundreds or thousands of complaints. Sure. That's everything. But but what we're talking about here. These I mean, were all the ones I just mentioned were all based on one complaint. Exactly. And I, I was sat at this desk here when I was running Summer Valley FM only a, a year or two ago and I took a telephone call and it was uh, the, the mum and uh, a mum of uh, driving her children around. She said, I'm a bit worried about what I'm hearing on the radio. I said, What are you hearing? And she said, Well, you know, my children are listening to a song and I'm not going to say what she thought she heard, but I can tell you that she had misheard Sylvester's "Do You Want to Funk with Me," and okay. uh, so, so, so that that was sort of very easy. But but yeah. she was a concerned mother. She rang the manager. We sorted it out. Had a bit of a laugh actually, and uh, and and then done and dusted. Yeah, and, uh, and, and that's every, it. Yeah, a um, and you've so made I, I, a, and you've made a stronger bond with your community, not yeah. a weaker one. You, you've weakened, and, you've strengthened the bond yeah. instead of weakening one. If they go straight to Ofcom, I think Ofcom need to address this. And I'm a nerve, certainly aware of it. But with community radio, there, there, there will be volunteers who, who want to keep a sort of voice alive. And one way they can do that is by complaining about the people they were formerly supporting. And, and I think this is getting bigger. There's more community stations. And uh, there's less local community uh, commercial stations where so there may be less from that sector. I don't know, but um, it's something that I will be raising with Ofcom, and I will give them. Uh, I'm not just going to lunge at them at a meeting. I, I want a, a very serious uh, debate about this because I think uh, there's an appetite. And 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 the previous thing that every complaint will be investigated on its own merit uh, is fine, but I think we need to now really bring it into this wider context. And you know what, Ofcom are pretty taxed on their time. They've lost a lot of staff members. I think it would be a relief to them if they could uh, find a way around this. And as you say, start with a complaint with the people who you think have made an offence on air. And uh, yes, the higher levels of stuff, incitement to racial hatred or sure, something like that. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. That's a matter of the law of the land. Yeah, exactly, right? when we're getting beyond broadcasting code and we're into actually yeah. breaking the law. Yeah, that's a different thing. Yeah. Well, they, they, you can go straight there with that kind of thing. But if it's, yeah... I don't know. So tell me about this book you're working on. Well, uh, I run a charity and uh, called the Summer Valley Education Trust. And uh, and what we do is, we, well, it started because of the training in community radio. And then I realized that uh, the training was having, uh, of young people particularly, because of the, the station I ran linked to local education, opportunities for kids to get a bit of skills-based learning. And uh, uh, it had consequences beyond just learning how to do radio, uh, which is a fine and honourable thing, of course. But this was helping people with their self-esteem, their mental health, uh, to, to gain skills that are transferable to make you more employable, all, all the things that is so uh, can be very problematic for young people to achieve and gain. So I started a charity that did this. And in fact, we've now branched out into music. So we get the same outcomes, but we have music uh, training uh, as well and, and and I work with local youth services so we, we can target people who uh, really need these services I kids without progression plans 16 to 18 kids vulnerable to exclusion or, or, or falling into a life of crime and the police support us um, for for this kind of work anyway I started the charity 2017 
And um, it was always pretty ambitious, but it's steadily grown. We're just coming to the end of year four. Uh, we will have a, a turnover in excess of 100,000, which begins, means we'll be a, a medium-sized charity. Uh, and this is a charity with a national vision. And one of the my trustees, who's a, an impressive person called Lucy Nelson, who started the charity Tommy's, which does some really important work uh, in, in preg- when pregnancies go wrong for one reason or another, and, um, and she said, you know, your story is pretty amazing, Dom. You should tell it. Now, I've been down, you know, bloke at bar in the pub. I've got a book to write. You know, we all have, don't we? And, uh, and, 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 I, and I did for, for years, and I was – I tinker with, with a bit of writing. I actually wanted to call a, a biography for, for reference and research purposes only after, uh, after a, a Billy Connolly gla- uh, gag where, where he's describing how his driver right. And he goes, I'm not going to try the accent. He goes, uh, in a moment of weakness, my driver purchased a top shelf magazine and uh, and he left it on the back seat of the car where, for reference and research purposes only, I picked it up and had a look. And I, I thought there's something really deliciously British about that, isn't there? And um, so I, and I was writing that. Anyway, um, the, my, Lucy, one of the trustees of the charity, said, um, you, should, you should write a blog, you should do something. I thought, I'll just start and see what happens. Anyway, I, I've worked out because I'm, I'm involved in so many things. I have to have be really quite organized and, and have quite a structured working day so that I get everything done. And if I want to do something, it has to go into my working schedule. So to get fitter, I actually have a personal trainer who turns up um, and I just block it out of my diaries like a meeting and, uh, and you know, uh, losing a weight and, and, and generally kind of getting on well. So it goes into, into my working day. And I decided that the way to make this happen would be to dictate a book. I had no idea if I could dictate the book or not. But I thought if it's down to me to write, and I spent a lot of time writing copy for funding narrative and, and stuff that's really important for my professional landscape. And I thought, I'm never going to write a book if I've got to write it. So I put a, a, an advert out on LinkedIn asking for somebody to take dictation. And all my techie friends came back and said, what are you doing, Dom? Let's buy the software. I said, no, you're missing the point. I want to see the human reaction to what I'm writing. And I found somebody who's a professional typist uh, called Emma. And uh, and we do this on Zoom every Friday at 2.30 in the afternoon. We meet uh, on Zoom. She types. I talk. We get about 2,500 words knocked out and very nearly finished with the book. So right from the start, when I decided to write a book, I um, – I thought, well, it's got to be called Sound Vision, yeah. And and then, yeah. and then, as 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 this was sort of, you know, becoming a reality, I realised I was going to have a book out by by the end of the year. I I thought actually that's a better name for the charity, <laughs> because I started out wanting to create a charity that had an association with Summer Valley FM because we were very known locally for the sorts of work that we were doing. And, and I wanted to appeal to the local funders. Well, strategy worked. Done and dusted. We, you know, we, we, we steadily grown for those first four years. But now, as we scale up nationally, which is what the plan is, then um, we don't want a, a charity with a, a geographically identified title. So Sound Vision is, um, I can state this publicly now because I've had it trademarked, that, that will be what the charity, we, we and the trustees have agreed, we're going to change uh, the name of the charity uh, during the autumn. So all the radio skills, such as I have mastered over the last 30 years, is, is about driving that vision forward. And it's a vision that 
really improves society through the media. And, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. You know, you start, say it's Rotary or WI or something locally. I always uh, say, well, let, let's, you know, uh, let's have a hands up. What do you think of the media? A few hands will go up. And they will always come up with a negative uh, about the media. So, oh, they've done this. Or they've done that, you know. And, of course, that is absolutely true. The media can do terrible things, or people working in the media can do terrible things, but uh, it's also, it also has fundamental roles in, in, a, in society and in holding people to account and doing all sorts of things. But I'm arguing, and it's not just me, there's lots of people uh, thinking this way now, uh, that the media, community media, grassroots media, non-profit media, volunteer-orientated media, media linked to the third sector, by which I mean the charitable sector, is an agent of good. It can impact on people's lives really positively, on the lives of their communities and, and society in general. And I think this is really, really exciting. I think the times are right now uh, for this kind of approach to, to media. And, um, and, and I like the fact that we attract, in the charity that I run, young people. I'm a trustee, as you know, of the Radio Academy. And yeah. one of our big debates is, you know, obviously we're there to talk about the future. And, uh, and how are young people going to get on in, the, in a fast-moving landscape? And so we're attracting children and young people. We don't talk about radio with them. We talk about podcasts. Yeah. They would probably recognize YouTube before they recognize the BBC logo. Yeah, yeah. So, so we are bringing – I think there will always be a need – for audio, information, and entertainment. And uh, and that's the beauty of the growth of the podcasting approach um, in terms of, of how local radio will develop. I think that it the, the, the podcasting side of local radio will be as important as linear listening uh, in years to come. So Summer Valley FM will have the weekly or daily, possibly even Summer Valley uh, podcast, which gives you 20 minutes when you're walking the dog in the evening. And then you're kind of tapped into your community. The beauty of audio, as we all know, is you can be doing other stuff. Yeah. You know, you can't, until we get to the um, driverless cars, probably aren't that far away, but for years seemed very futuristic. Uh, you know, we, you can't read a book or watch television when driving a car. You can listen to the radio. And that's how, that's how you, you, you sort of, uh, the child lying in bed, uh, being fueled their imagination and their knowledge. Well, it's still there, isn't it? Because... You know, when I'm out and about and I'm listening to Radio 4 or LBC uh, or, or Steve Wright in the afternoon or Johnny Walker, whoever it is, the, uh, you know, you, you're still getting it um, through, through the radio waves. But the kids are coming in here. They're making podcasts about the world that affects them. Kids are much more empowered uh, in, in, in many ways than they were when I was a child. And... They're, they're knowledgeable. They don't necessarily have the emotional maturity, and we can help with that. We can say, actually, that's maybe not such a good idea to have that approach. But you wouldn't expect them to have the emotional maturity. They're still children. They're still young people. But they're fascinated. They're really interested in all sorts of things that will be of parental interest and concern, drug taking, self-harm, uh, mental health in general. And you know what? The children that, that are most afraid of that come to us is they're most afraid of being laughed at. If you can set up an organize, a, a place, a safe place, which is, is, is geared up for the well-being of young people, the well-being of people, actually, 
And they can, they will come in if they don't think that they're going to be laughed at. We very much describe it as non-judgmental. You can come in and, 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 and be free to experiment. And in this atmosphere, you get people who don't speak up in class, who don't speak up in the playground because there's someone bigger, and, you know, better looking or, you know, the, or the bully who's, who's, who's commanding the attention. And, uh, and then we find that they, they're very enfranchised through that so they're getting a bunch of skills and confidence and self-esteem that sense of their own worth is increasing but they're also getting a a voice and a platform and one of the the key things of sound vision is empowering voices less heard i think that the the empowering female agenda quite rightly very big at the moment is an area that um that we we're very interested in and um and, and it won't, you know, it's not just about me. I, I employ a, a, a great team, a growing team, and, uh, and they, they come from all sectors of society where, where we're particularly kind of keen to target what we're doing. So, you know, that's the long version. What I call it is media with good stuff, really. It was possibly the title of the second book. Not a bad idea. The podcast is called In Radio with Don Chambers. And it's at number 12 this week on the pod 20. 11. Hidden Brain. Shankar Vedantam uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior. 10. Sky News Arabia. The podcast from the 24-hour rolling news channel broadcast in the Middle East. 9. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. After 25 years at the late night desk, Conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests. So, he started a podcast to fix that. 8. The Jordan B. Peterson Podcast. Enlightening discourse that will change the way you think. 7. Newscast from BBC Radio. The latest episode is about Prince Andrew agreeing to pay millions of pounds to a woman he never met and never had sex with. Three times. 6. Five Minute News. It's presented from Los Angeles by the Brit and friend of this show, Anthony Davis. 5. My Favourite Murder with Karen Gilgariff and Georgia Hardstark. Karen and Georgia tell each other their favourite tales of murder and hear hometown crime stories from friends and fans. 4. Off Menu with Ed Gamble and James Acaster. Ed and James invite special guests into their magical restaurant to choose their favourite starter, main course, side dish, dessert and drink. 3. Stuff You Should Know If you've ever wanted to know about champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then look no further. Josh and Chuck have you covered. The latest episode is about the cassowary, a bird that lives in Australia and can kill a human being. 2. Crime Junkie If you can never get enough true crime, congratulations, you've found your people. And at number one for a second week... The Trojan Horse Affair I happened to be in Birmingham, England one night when this journalism student came up to me at an event. 
He was talking fast, like I might walk away any second. It was a tsunami that hit Birmingham. Birmingham does not get national attention. It was a circus, mate. I can't even describe to you. His name was Hamza Syed, and he wanted help on his first ever story about a mystery in Birmingham, his hometown, that no one had ever solved. It had begun a few years earlier, when news of a strange letter exploded in the press. A leaked letter outlining a plot by hardline Muslims. The letter looked to be... Well, Hamza, you want to explain this part? The letter looked to be a secret communique between Islamic extremists who'd been infiltrating the city schools in a supposed plot called Operation Trojan Horse. The letter was bizarre, unsigned, incoherent, badly Xeroxed, yet still, it sparked one of the biggest school scandals in British history. Government investigators descended on Birmingham. The country beefed up its counter-terror policy. By the time it all died down, schools were revamped, teachers lost their jobs, some people were banned for life from education. The fallout has been huge. Prime Minister David Cameron, as we said, is calling a special meeting of the government's extremism task force. The former head. But what I always found suspicious about this whole affair is that this dodgy letter suggesting extremists were taken over our schools. Nobody ever found out who wrote it or why. Remarkably, none of the investigators even tried. So I convinced Brian Reed over here that we should go for it. Is this about to be the first radio interview you've ever done? Yeah. <laughs> Hams and I spent years running this down. I'll give you a clue. Who is the letter defending is the question you have to answer. But figuring out who wrote the Trojan horse letter. I didn't write it. I don't know who wrote it. Well, my job to find out who wrote it. I'm not the author of the Trojan horse letter. That was only the first mystery we were up against. It started to seem like officials knew more than what they were letting on, all the way from a local primary school to the highest levels of British government, and that Hams and I were poking at something that people did not want to talk about. Can you give us a bit of details about that situation? No. It is particularly important that I don't. She answered, and she just immediately started saying, I'm busy, I'm busy, and started trying to shut the door on me. You're cool confused. It's just a very unusual line of questioning. Why? I can't talk to you about... Why can't you talk about that? Sorry. You're leaving us? You're waving us goodbye? From Serial Productions and The New York Times, I'm Brian Reed. And I'm Hamza Syed. It's The Trojan Horse Affair, a mystery in eight parts that a lot of people don't want you to hear. Hey, I just got a letter threatening an injunction. Same here, buddy. We are in trouble. The Trojan Horse Affair at number one for the second week in a row. And that's it for episode 95 of the Pod 20. Thanks to this week's guests, Nikki Bannerman and Don Chambers. Next week, my guest is Nick Randall from SNS Online. In the meantime, you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will your favourite make it to number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, on Fridays at 5pm and across the weekend on Podcast Radio. And don't forget to influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.